Hello and welcome back to Missomania. The story I'm going to tell today is going to take a lot of vulnerability from me, but I believe it's an important story to tell. I'm going to talk about how I learned I have bipolar 2 disorder. I was 23 years old and living on my own with my new kitten Mishka. It cost a lot of money to move out and get this expensive cat, so I recall being under a lot of stress. As well, I was in a situationship, or what you call a non-committal relationship, where you're not boyfriend and girlfriend, but you're acting like you are. <laughs> also pretty stressful for someone as insecure as I was at 23. I think the final factor of this equation was that I quit antidepressants cold turkey and no longer had a therapist or a psychiatrist at this time. I graduated college and I was interested in knowing what life would be like without the medicine. Because when you're on the meds, you think to yourself, I feel better, I don't need these anymore. But the reason you feel better is because of the meds. <laughs> so unless it's a choice between you and your doctor, unless you continue to be closely monitored by your doctors, then I highly recommend never trying a cold turkey or antidepressants or other psych meds. Doctors will typically wean you off gently and see how things are going. Maybe even switch your antidepressants that you're on. Because if they're not working for you or they're giving you bad symptoms, it's highly possible you just need to try a different medication. I discovered in college around sophomore year that I have chronic anxiety and depression. I ended up going to the school counselor one day when my on-again, off-again relationship was on the rocks again. And after a few sessions, she explained to me that sometimes anxiety is chronic and it's often paired with depression. Chronic basically means that you've had it for a very long time, maybe your whole life, and you might have to have it for the rest of your life. But there are ways to manage it and keep it under control. This doesn't mean I'm abnormal. There's no such thing as a normal person. <laughs> on Tumblr and I'm sure on other platforms we call them neurotypicals. To find out that your brain isn't typical is always a surprise. It wasn't long after that we diagnosed my misophonia. However, I'm here to talk about how I found out I was bipolar. And this was a much, much bigger shock for me in many ways. So here I am in a weirdly uncommitted relationship and absent of medications or therapists, and I can't recall the exact events leading up to it, but I recall I started to become very paranoid and wasn't doing a whole lot of sleeping. It started with something called CHS. This really triggered up the paranoia. At the time, I didn't really know what CHS was, and now that I do know what it is, it's pretty obvious that I had it. It's basically something where if you smoke a fuck ton of weed, you will start dry heaving every morning. Um, and if you keep letting it progress, you'll feel nauseous and lightheaded at random times during the day. This is the closest thing to a weed overdose that you can get. In a strange remedy that I wasn't the only one to discover, a hot bath or a shower. I would always opt for burning hot bath. <laughs> as soon as I would bathe, I felt so much better. No more nausea, no more dry heaving. So as you can imagine, I took a lot of baths. 
If you or someone you know gets CHS, I highly recommend taking a small tea break. And then if you do decide to start smoking again, follow my rule. Never smoke on an empty stomach. Drink like a Chibani or Danimals drinkable yogurt if you can't eat in the morning. Put something substantial and of value in your stomach before smoking. I know food tastes better when you're high. I know you're not hungry till after you smoke. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> don't smoke on an empty stomach. This directly fucks up your stomach enzymes. And I'm not a doctor. I'm just experienced in the ways of devil's lettuce. <laughs> so back to the story. So I was really paranoid that I had something wrong with my gut. I hadn't fully known about CHS yet. And I actually learned about it after everything from my old pot dealer. He knew more about what was going wrong with my body than my primary care doctor or my gastroenterologist. The gastro dude thought I might have an ulcer and wanted to do a blood test. And as I mentioned on this podcast before, I hate needles. <laughs> so I immediately started panicking about having to get a blood test. All this stress I was under started crumbling on top of me my paranoia grew. I became convinced that someone had hacked my phone and was trying to send me some sort of message or package or something. Someone left a bottle of wine at my door. It must have just been delivered to the wrong house, right? Or someone from my past that I didn't want to see was trying to make amends? I I don't know. Once again, (laughs) the paranoia grew. I became convinced that all of my smart devices were hacked that someone was listening to me, that there was a bug in the house somewhere, and I had to find it. I took all my electronics and I put them in the closet. And at some point, I began writing on the walls. Keep Mishka safe, because that's all that mattered to me at that point. Thankfully, I was able to paint over this pretty easily later on, so I did not have to pay for that one. But. You know, I was starting to begin my separation from reality at this point. I knew I wasn't okay. I called my old therapist to see if I could make an appointment soon. (laughs) She made time for me. And I called my best friend to come over, and she did. We went for a drive, where I just babbled on about how panicked I was. I don't remember what all I said, but I'm sure it was nonsense. When we got back to my house, to my great surprise, my mom was there. Where did she come from? Why was she here? What's going on? I learned later that my dad had called her worried about me, said I didn't sound good. I don't even remember speaking to my dad. She tried to call a bunch of times, but my phone was fully dead at this point, and I left it that way since electronics were freaking me out anyways. She came into my house with me, and my best friend left. I don't remember what all happened, but we fought in a way that we've never fought before. She cried. I demanded she leave. I screamed at her, get out. And she stomped her feet into the ground like a child and said, I'm not leaving. I needed to sleep. I couldn't sleep with her there invading my house uninvited. I locked myself and my cat in my room for a few hours while I lied awake angry. I threw a fucking tantrum. I started pouring cereal on the ground around the house and protests that she wouldn't leave. And then I decided if she wasn't going to leave, I would. 
and I sat outside my door, and it was morning at this point. She came out and said she was calling 911. I didn't really know what to expect would happen, but I was fine with her calling 911. I didn't know she'd start babbling to the cops all about the weird shit I was doing, though. I felt she was exaggerating and just didn't understand. I got into the ambulance without argument. The nice EMT calmly asked me to stop going through the drawers and cabinets on the wall. <laughs> My mania was going batshit. <laughs> I'm in a car full of needles, and they put me under. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that another thing I was paranoid about, that I thought, <laughs> just randomly, that I might be pregnant. Um, and I really didn't want to be. And I really didn't want my mom to find out. I didn't know what else would explain all my morning sickness and stomach issues. I'd already taken a pregnancy test and it came back negative. So I don't know what I was thinking. The first thing that happened was me waking up to my mom trying to rip out my earrings that were twist-ons, not clip-ons, you know? So you have to like twist the back off. Well, she wasn't twisting. <laughs> Next I discovered I had an IV in my arm, and I begged and pleaded with anyone that walked in the room to please take it out. Eventually the social worker came in. I thought she was a doctor. I told her verbatim, if I'm pregnant, I don't want to wake up that way. Nothing in the world can ruin my life more than being pregnant at this point, so I was hyper paranoid about it. Next thing I know, I'm being hauled off to my very first mental hospital, against my will. In Florida, they call this Baker acting. Once you're Baker acted, you're put on a 24-hour hold until the doctor decides if they want to keep you longer. I ended up being moved to a second hospital, one much scarier than the first one, with much meaner and worse doctors and nurses. The first one wasn't supported by my insurance or something. The second one was called Aspire Health Partners. One of the first things you get on Google for them is a news story about a girl getting raped here. The men and women were put in the same ward and treated like prisoners. I was stuck here for seven days and not once did I see an actual therapist. I only saw the psychiatrist who was probably number one on my top hated people on the planet. In this hospital, they prescribe you drugs without telling you what they are or what they do. And if you don't take them, they take it upon themselves to force you to take them through a syringe to the ass if you quote unquote get out of hand. <laughs> I was performing some typical manic behaviors, talking a lot, having an inflated ego. I tried to be polite, but I was still quite annoying most of the time. They would give you the tiniest cup of water you've ever seen and then be annoyed when you asked for more water. My lips were so chapped and I was so severely dehydrated when I finally got out of that sad excuse for a hospital. At one point I got sick, and then was forced to clean it up myself because the nurses aren't your maids. I was convinced I had OCD at this point, because I washed my hands constantly and was really paranoid about germs. I also went a majority of this time without clean underwear, without my glasses or my contacts. And I would ask what time it was a lot, because you could only make phone calls for a certain period of time during the day, when everyone else is also trying to make phone calls. <laughs> Plus, I was just so anxious about getting to see the doctor again to try and convince him to free me, because I was not getting even remotely better this whole time I spent here. I couldn't sleep either. 
I was too scared that one of the men who were giving off super rapey vibes and sleeping in the rooms just across the hall would find a way to come and get me while I was sleeping. I scared off a couple of roommates with my inability to shut the fuck up. <laughs> At one point, they did decide I was becoming too much and too much of a handful for them. So they shoved mystery drugs in my ass, two syringes, and stuck me in the seclusion room. <laughs> I knew the drugs would work faster and put me to sleep if I got my blood flowing, so I jumped up and down and did some jumping jacks and apparently slept for about 14 hours. <laughs> me and a friend I made in there, who I'll call R, would call them rest in peace medications. <laughs> but we had to stop calling them that because we were making other patients paranoid. <laughs> At one point, we were all playing hangman. Mostly the girls were participating. And even some of the quieter girls were getting up and having a fun time. But the men were ruthless. They started circling us almost. They would walk in and out of the room quickly and try and touch us or get really close. I was on a one-on-one -on -one observation at this point because someone decided I was at risk or that I was some sort of risk to myself or others. I hadn't threatened suicide. And in my manic mind, I hadn't done anything all that crazy or wrong. Nevertheless, I accepted the extra protection, despite it meaning that I could no longer pee with the door closed. <laughs> I realized the men were becoming more and more creepy and aggressive. My two friends, R and S, I'll call them, were sitting together with me in the middle. This old man, who thought him and I were friends, came over and lunged a bit, as if pretending to fight. He... Let me give a little backstory. He would walk around and call himself King Kong and say that I looked like the girl in the King Kong movie, Naomi Watts, I think. And he would always like pretend like he was fighting the air, you know. And so he was when he lunged, he did it playfully. But R did not take it that way. She was already kind of freaked out by the guys becoming more creepy and aggressive. So she popped him in the stomach with her fist and told him to back off. The old man went to the counter and told Trey, another patient, that a girl had hit him. He pointed in our general direction. Trey, the guy who I saw earlier in the week but had been checked out for a little bit and then he checked himself back in high on Molly, immediately walked right over to our group, acted like he was going to circle like the other guys had been. But instead he walked straight up to me and smacked me out of my chair and proceeded to point in my face, screaming, don't you hit him. I didn't hit the old man, or did. So I just stood up and cowered and said I didn't. He was taken away by the nurses to the seclusion room, his eyes still redder than the Satan's dick. <laughs> One of the nurses asked if I was okay, and I nodded. And then another nurse asked me if I wanted to go to the hospital. And I thought for a second at the opportunity, and I said, yes, take me to the hospital. One of the female nurses shook her head and said, I just have to come back here anyways. But I saw this as my way out. I called my mom, and as I'm trying to tell her over the little payphone what happened, these rude fucking nurses are screaming at me, don't tell her that, don't worry her. So... <laughs> When I got in the van to take me to the hospital, a woman who only spoke Spanish pissed herself after witnessing what happened to me and was refusing to get into the van. I tried to just cover my nose and enjoy the fact that I was finally almost out of that hell.
They didn't want my parents to come back and see me because I was Baker acted, but my mom fought her way into letting in one parent back at a time because my dad was there too. I just cried and whimpered like a child. I begged her not to let them send me back there. After checking out my arm and letting me see both parents, they said I have, they have to send me back. We demanded that that wasn't going to happen, not back to the same ward where I just got hit by somebody. The only means of release is by that douchebag doctor that hates my guts and never says anything useful except for you have to get better first. We ended up finding a way to let me get sent to the ward across the hall from the one that I was in. So separate from the guy that just hit me. <laughs> Unfortunately, with the same stupid doctor. My mom had already gotten me a lawyer at this point who was getting me out in 24 hours. I literally tried to count the time till my departure from this hellscape. No one respected my misophonia here, not even the nurses. I tried to beg a nurse to please spit out her gum because it was triggering me fiercely. She said I can't tell her what to do and continued chewing obnoxiously. I was still on the one-on-one -on -one and none of the nurses were happy about it. This hospital was severely understaffed and the staff that they had were lousy pieces of shit for the most part. Maybe two out of the 15 to 20 I met actually gave a shit about their jobs and the people they were quote unquote caring for. Before I left, I had to see the doctor one last time. He said, you're leaving against medical advice. And I looked him dead in the face and I said, good. <laughs> His name was Dr. Eric Singh. He kept me trapped in this hospital for seven days and did nothing more than prescribe me Seroquel, an antipsychotic, which my aunt helped me to get a paper signed that said that they had to stop giving me prescriptions against my will. <laughs> that I didn't agree with taking. Why should I have to take a drug that I've read nothing about, that no one has told me what it does or what it is? How is that legal? When I finally walked out of the doors of the hospital, I was euphoric. I was singing in my mom's car and felt like I was finally free. I got to see my kitten again. I got to have actual water bottles, clean underwear, Chick-fil-A, anything I wanted, it was mine, except going back to my own house. My mom was afraid that being in my apartment would trigger me again. So she kept me at her house for over a week. I began to become very overwhelmed. At first I was afraid that if I slept, I would only have nightmares. And I was afraid of ever being sent back. I was afraid of the world. I got a new psychiatrist who put me on antipsychotics. And then I got another psychiatrist who weaned me off of those and put me on new mood stabilizers instead. The antipsychotics were making it impossible for me to wake up in the morning. They were way too much for me to handle. I had a therapist again, my old one that I stopped going to long ago due to a misunderstanding that ended up with me feeling like she didn't actually care about my well-being. Like I said, it was a misunderstanding and also abandonment issues. <laughs> I eventually got to go home again, and my parents helped me clean up the mess I left. I finally felt like I could relax again. A lot of times, manic episodes are followed by depressive episodes. You burn all this energy and all these brain chemicals that once it's over, your brain just needs to unwind and be depressed for a bit. I experienced this recently when my mood stabilizers ran out, and I was lazy about calling my psychiatrist. <laughs> 
I had almost a full day of super god mode. I just felt like I was on top of the fucking world. And then the next day, I just cried in bed and refused to leave it. <laughs> Apparently, my mood stabilizers had a half-life of about three days. And it was maybe five without them. And I felt it. At least I know they're working. <laughs> Some good came out of all of this. I found out who my real friends are. I figured out I needed to take better care of myself. I went through something really traumatic. Something that I wouldn't wish upon anyone. But now I also got to tell you this story. I can finally find some closure in someone hearing about what happened to me. I can go on knowing that my story hit someone's ears and made them understand what bipolar disorder really looks like. And if there's someone out there who maybe has bipolar or CHS or misophonia or even has just been through some severe paranoia or depression or anxiety or maybe someone who's been hospitalized against their will. Maybe I help them feel less alone through telling my story. Everything that happens to us affects us, whether we want it to or not. But it does not have to define you. I am not the person I was. And the person I was was not wrong or bad. I was simply sick and needed the right kind of help. I hope you all know that you are loved you are deserving of love, and if you're not happy right now in this moment, then know that someday you will be. I believe in you. Thank you for listening, and may you live today with extreme freedom and hopefulness for the future. The light at the end of the tunnel becomes brighter every day that you give yourself a little more love. So love yourself today more than you did yesterday. Step outside for a brief moment, Soak up the sun rays like the little plant that you are. Photosynthesis babies. Toodles. <laughs>